You're listening to Culture Matters, a podcast of the Village Church. This is Adam Griffin, and I'm here as always with my co-host, Adam Hawkins. Adam, how you doing today? Feeling pretty good. How are you doing? I'm great, man. I'm excited about talking with movies with our good friends, David Roark, and his boss, mm. Kent Rabelais. <laughs> David, are you intimidated that Kent is in the room today? Just slightly. I better say the right thing. Yeah, Kent, I feel free to give him talking with movies. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, we'll have to play that back later. Talking about movies. Kent uh, uh, is one of the executive directors of The Village. Uh, both of them have been on the show before. You've probably heard their voice a hundred times. Even when he's not on the show, David is making the shows happen. So if you have a favorite episode, David probably produced it. If there's one you're kind of like, I don't really like that one. David was probably out of town when that happened. So we're so excited you guys are here. Kent, glad to have you. How you Thank doing? Thank you. I'm doing very well. Excited to be here. Awesome. Well, without further ado, let's talk with movies or about movies. <laughs> All right, a quick note of why David and Kent have joined us. Beyond what he does at The Village, Kent is also a screenwriter. He's produced a few films, including the indie flick called Between Notes. And then David, David actually used to do quite a bit of film criticism in the years past. David, are you not doing as much anymore? Not as much. I had kids and all things changed. (laughs) So David used to write uh, film uh, reviews for Paste and Christianity Today. He's also written some pieces for The Village Church Resources on different films that have come out. It's... I would not be exaggerating to say that all of us love movies, and we're probably excited about this episode. We are. Absolutely. Yes. So, so why? I mean, for the person who's maybe seeing this title and what we're talking about and needs to be convinced, can we just talk for a minute? Why spend a whole podcast talking about movies and then maybe in particular Star Wars in a podcast about culture? I would think it's obvious, but what are why, why are these not just trivial matters mm-hmm. to talk about movies and culture? Yeah, I think Matt... I had a Donna Miller quote the other day in a sermon that I thought was relevant to this discussion, which is Miller says, talking about Star Wars, that George Lucas sold Star Wars to Disney for over $4 billion. And the question is, what did he sell? Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, the answer is characters that he made up in his mind and worlds and uh, peoples. And then really at the end of the day, a story and and narrative um, that told us something about how the world works and taught us something about how the world works. And we are narratival creatures or story creatures. And so we are, we just crave it. Um, We desire it. And I think that one to tie um, a bow on that is just, it's an example, that particular Star Wars um, example, just really personifies it in a very clear way, just how story driven we are as humans. Yeah. I would just add to that and just say that, you know, movies, film, TV, whatever you want to call it, you know, I think these things, they shape our imaginations, they shape our emotions. And I think that when anything does that, it, it gets to our heart. And I think that that, and, and therefore, you know, affects our desires, our, our loves, our worship. And, and so that seems like a really big thing to say about film, but yeah. I think these things are affecting us way more than we realize. We may not consciously even understand the ways that they do. And it's crazy because you can really back that up. I think there's a theological argument there, but I also think that there's like a sociological argument in terms of some of the studies that show just the effects of media on people. There's something going on there that that would then make, because we're all watching movies and all watching TV, it then makes it an important discussion, you know? I I even think taking it out of the abstract sum and just saying that, um, not not to say that you guys were speaking only abstractly, but the, uh, I felt accused. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> you didn't so, say anything. So, uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk 
I don't know, a couple decades ago about sort of the loss of the public intellectual. What's the sphere of the public intellectual now? And at the time, people were trying to say the novel. But I think if you look today, especially in documentary films, um, but but I I also think just film in general – I think it is the last bastion for the public intellectual. It communicates ideas and arguments about the human experience in a very clear way and compelling way, maybe maybe um, with more force than than any of the other mediums like radio and, and novels have been able to. And so I think – uh, yeah, I, I think you can go back and sort of look at some of the ideas being addressed. Again, I would say especially in documentary films. But So before we get into talking about some films that we liked and talking about Star Wars in particular, can I take a second, especially for you, David, here, just to tell me this, because I really, I really don't know. What makes a film good? I mean, I, I can wow. think about, like, as a child, I just liked certain films and didn't others. And in a, in a year where we have a movie, a movie about the worst movie ever, right? Like we have a movie coming out, yeah. Disaster Artist, which is uh-huh. about a bad movie. That looks like and, a great film, by the way. Yeah, and so when you're talking about- Have you about, seen The Disaster Artist? I've seen The Room. Have you? I mean, The Room, excuse yes, me. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, Isn't uh, it, is it not just- It's something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, really what I want to get to here in my question, then I'll let you guys talk a little bit, but the idea of what makes it good, I mean, I feel like we'll all have different movies and connecting with what Adam, Adam Hawkins was just saying about- there's a there's a sense where it affects you or there's an emotion with it or what is it that makes a film good? Do you just look at it as the art and how artfully did the director achieve his goal or is it how much you're affected by it? Is this too big a question? It is a it's very it's a very very big. big question with a lot of you know different ways of approaching it. I mean, I, one of the ways that I've always talked about it is just form and content. And I think there are some other things to talk about too, specifically story. I mean, at the end of the day, a story is what makes a movie good. Does it have a good story? Is it telling a good story? But the form content idea is like, what is the film communicating? And um, specifically as Christians, I think we look at like what is true, good, and beautiful as it relates to scripture. And then we would look at the the message, if you will. And, and I want to be clear that movies aren't necessarily like intentionally trying to like preach to you or convey a message, but there's always a message there. Something is being expressed. A worldview. Yes, a worldview. And so I think that I would judge, you know, a movie, a TV show, I would look at its content and see what's being expressed there. Does it line up with the true good story that we know of scripture, of, of the God of the universe? Um, and then I would look at, you know, the form, you know, like, um, the way that that message or that content is communicated and executed and told, is it done well? And how well do those things come together? Um, you know, did you, uh, I think it's a good way to think about it too, is that, you know, I think about someone like Quentin Tarantino. I think that the, the form part of that, the vehicle, if you will, uh, he gets, I mean, gosh, he's so good, right? He's one of the greatest at that, the, his style, the way that he uses music in his films, but it's like, there's a message there. There's content there. And I know that this is even subjective to some degree. So people would probably defend him and disagree with this. But, you know, when I watch his films, I see a glorification of violence and things mm-hmm. like that. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, man, I can't really resonate with that, right. the content of, of his movie. But the execution, the style, I can enjoy those things. And, but I can just recognize that what it's, what it's communicating is not helpful. And so that's kind of like that end of things. And then I think some Christian movies maybe have a good message, have good content. Sometimes they don't, because I think a lot of Christian movies are afraid to 
kind of enter into darker spaces and, and being kind of real with humanity. But let's just say that they do. A lot of Christian movies may have a really good message, but it's like if that story, if that content's told poorly, like who really cares? You know, it doesn't make sense. So I think the best movies have both of those things working together. That's good. Uh, can't any, do you agree? No, I I agree. I think that's the it is a broad question, and I think what David just said is the simplest way to frame it up. Yeah. So okay. just to frame it, I just want to say you did a great job of that. Yeah. I've probably had that conversation a hundred times yeah. in my life. So if I did good, poorly, good. it would be sad. Well, I felt like a moron asking. You guys are all looking at me like, why are you asking? What makes it good? But I do feel like as part of my role here today is going to be playing a little bit more everyman. You guys are very cinephile <laughs> in a way that I'm like, what if it's just entertaining? What sure. if I just liked yeah. it? Well, that's a you know? perspective. Or what yeah. if my buddy was in it and he's a terrible actor and that I still like it? I probably reacted that way because there are s- several people out there who'd poke holes and oh, have no all doubt. sorts of oh, things yeah. to, to push back well, against. So, so, so that's just one so way of looking at it. Yeah, that's the way art is, right? It's like one, like no one's gonna. It's not gonna be universally loved. True. So that's why. I mean, that's a good segue to talking about individually. What kind of? What are a few movies that this last year you guys really enjoyed? So Hawkins, maybe we can start with you. There are a few things this last year that you felt like maybe not as recommendations that you guys need to go watch this because certainly some of the things we watched. There's going to be content that for some people is uh, appropriate and some people not. And mm-hmm. but what are some things this week that, or this week this year that you felt like were really great movies? Yeah, um, I thought uh, I'll say I thought Get Out was a spectacular yeah. film. Okay, uh, for somebody who hasn't seen it, like myself, tell me a little bit of what is what's, what's, what's the premise? Get Out about? Get Out. Uh, <laughs> so, um, man, it's a it, it's. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to talk about it without being controversial. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's a satire. It's That's a satire uh, yeah. um, uh, uh, that uh, basically a, a guy um, goes home to meet his girlfriend's parents, and they end up being evil racists. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. To, to be just to be clear, this this young man is black, He's, and his yes, girlfriend is white, white. and so. Yeah, it just plays. It it is so. Not only is it a satire of our culture, it's also a satire of like horror films in yes. general. So it pokes fun at the genre itself. I, it's it's a complex film, yes. uh, uh, but it's uh, also presented in an uncomplex way. Yes. And so there's so much room to just participate with the film, which is something that I think. Um, I'm I'm drawn into films that invite you to participate in it rather yeah. than having a message preached at you. Yeah. There's a subtlety, uh, and I think sometimes I, I love I love that about film. And so this is one of those films that invites mm-hmm. you to do that. I didn't give a great synopsis because I don't want to give too much away. Yeah. And at the same time, uh, you just loved it. Yeah, it yeah. was a good film. And for for me, that that film especially, I think it kind of got at the idea of like. Are we for racial harmony for the sake of racial harmony? Yeah, that's great. Or are we really like, do we really care about a group of people? <laughs> and do we really care about investing in relationships? Or is it just kind of like we like this idea? You like the idea. So it pokes fun at that kind of superficial yes. way of going about race relations and, and all of that. I mean, there's so many more things you can say, but yeah. I loved that mm-hmm. part of it. I, think, I thought it did that well. So That's good. Uh, how about you, Kent? Any movies that you 
yeah, were really worth seeing in 2017? The one for me, and it's recent, it probably also will we'll get into movies that maybe people haven't heard of that I, it just may be recency bias, but I just watched Sunday Night is Jim and Andy. Um, oh, and it's yeah. about Jim Carrey playing Andy Kaufman uh, in Man on the Moon. And I was floored that, by that I, I'm so glad you said that because I'm like a week ago, I sat down and I was like, um, I'm, you know, I want to watch something. And I saw it and I thought, oh, I'll watch that. It. I'm, I think I well, sat are. down in silence for an hour. Well, I still afterwards. haven't seen it yet. Yeah, that's how I felt. And it's the, especially in, around at the village, we've been talking about in leadership just the idea of vulnerability, uh, what our true selves are. Um, and this film is just all about that. And as you can imagine, it's, it's really getting into Jim Carrey um, becoming Andy Kaufman, where he like he lost himself in the role uh, because he immersed it's himself so acting. much. Yeah, and he talked about he's like I didn't I don't want to imitate him. Mm-hmm. I want to be him. Um, and so and then there's a whole Tony Clifton uh, bit that if you know Andy, um, is a comedian that he had Tony Clifton's alter ego, and so maybe alter ego is not the right way to describe it, but just this other character um, that was part of who he was. So the film is just fascinating. Then it's a look at then what does that mean for Jim Carrey? Who is Jim Carrey? And the what that what that has done to him being Jim Carrey and how that becomes a part that he plays in life. Damn, so who's the real Jim Carrey? And so um, I, I listed that one as just for a movie that's just, man, profound. I'm still thinking about it. David, I'm sure you have 25. Yeah, this was very difficult. I thought we were making top five lists, but I know that we probably wouldn't have near enough time to even do that. So I, I, movie, a movie that I enjoyed recently was a movie called Lady Bird. Um, it's directed by Greta Gerwig. Um, it's this coming-of-age story about this uh, young girl in a Catholic school who calls herself Lady Bird, and hmm. she's given herself that name. Um, it's a dark comedy it's got some absurd, weird things about it, but it's also super raw and real. It's this relationship between this mother and daughter. And um, I think the most interesting thing, of, there's so many things to say about it, but I think one of the interesting things is the way that it kind of deals with faith. So this young girl, and this is definitely not like a Christian movie or a Christian director that I know of, but she's a Catholic. And it, the way that it treats the the Catholic faith is, is very fair and positive all throughout. And like, even though she goes through some difficult things as a teenager and as she tries to grow up and kind of figure out who she is, she holds on to that faith. And it's really interesting to see even in the end what happens there uh, and how that kind of plays a role into, uh, I would say, the climax of the, of the movie. And so that's a good one. The other thing I would say, there's a TV show that was on HBO, a TV series. It's just one season. I hope they don't make more seasons. They shouldn't called Big Little Lies. This is adapted by a novel by, I don't even know how to say her name, so I'm not going to go there. Um, But starring Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman, and this is, I'll I'll just say this, you already mentioned that like not everything we talk about is going to be something that everyone wants to watch. This is a very difficult show to watch, and it even has a few scenes that I would just really disagree with. I think they Mm -hmm. showed too much. Um, and I think that it could cause some people to stumble and definitely would forward through those. If you do decide to watch this, would forward through those scenes and didn't love that about it. Um, but <laughs> the reason it has some of these difficult moments is that this, this show is about um, this show is about domestic abuse. And it takes mm. this issue on 
like I've never seen a movie or a show taken on this explicitly before in terms of just kind of the cycles of abuse in a relationship, uh, what to look for. And so it's, it's very difficult to watch, but it's this sweet story about this community of women. And it also just shows how powerful and strong women are, especially so many women who, who are abused and who are, you know, just, um, made objects in, in the lives of, of these men in this story. And so I, I think what it, what it does as a movie, it just brings an awareness to this issue that I've never seen in Hollywood before. And so I, for nothing else, I really thought that that was an important movie this year, especially when you think about what's going on, Holly, going on in Hollywood right now, just with all the, mm-hmm. the allegations and things like that. So it was, it's, it's a tough show to watch and it's got some problematic things, but I think what it's trying to do and say, and it's just, it's just a really sweet ending to it all too. So that's interesting. I, one of the fascinating things that's happening in this room right now, which I feel like there's a lot of uh, cultural conversation around is like when you get to the Oscars, the movies that are nominated are seldom the movies that made the most money that year, right? It's not the movies that uh, most people have seen. It's not the movies that have had the biggest box office. Why is that? And then is there any movie that you guys feel like should be on this list that you're like, Hey, you guys have probably heard of this. Let me tell you, this is a good one. Or I feel like we've all just mentioned movies that probably most people haven't seen, except for maybe Get Out. Get Out had some, uh, it was a pretty popular movie. Yeah. I mean, I haven't actually seen it myself, but Dunkirk would probably be an example of yeah. one that that had mass appeal um, that I know most of you, I think, have seen. So can maybe speak to more of the why, but um, other than it being World War II and, and Chris Nolan and those things. But um, so that's the one that just comes to mind that I imagine will be in the Oscar race that's going to have more of a mass appeal. And then, on the, you know, why do we go to these? Um, I think as a, for me as a filmmaker, um, the reality is when you are working in Hollywood, um, there are literal computer algorithms to put in that tell you um, this is a particular plot line that will really? resonate at this particular time with this particular demographic group. Um, these are used at some of the big agencies like CAA. Um, so they put scripts through these and um, we'll, we'll base what they say yes and no to to that. So that's a factor in that's why sometimes you don't have great um, compelling stories that end up making it through that sort of machine. Yeah. And then some of it's just you get so many people involved um, and a lot of them are brilliant, well-meaning. There's just so many voices that a movie can get bogged down and uh, you don't have that more in the independent sphere. Someone's able to just go and tell a coherent story. So going back to David at the beginning talking about form, it's easier to stay on point as a director and a producer and a writer team, um, when you have less people trying to jump in and change things, it's easier to stay consistent and, and there be a clarity to the story and to the art that is, is really hard to pull off when you're dealing with several hundred people yeah. all trying to speak into to the script and then speak into the directorial decisions that are being made and the acting decisions that are being made and the edits that are being made and the music that's being selected and the way that the mix is done. That's just a real challenge. Um, so that's just a stab at so is it is it rare to have a movie that has broad appeal and at the same time to the cinephile would be like, and that's a brilliant movie? Like a, a Dunkirk, I don't even right. know if I'd say that has this broad sure. appeal, but a lot of people did see it. 
Not if it's not made by Steven Spielberg or someone like okay. that. There, I feel like there are a few directors like that yeah. who continue to make. And I think you could, even though I know that Kent knows this, that I don't love Christopher Nolan, yeah. he would fall into that category for me. Um, a few of these big directors who continue to make big blockbuster movies. Yeah. But I think a lot of that has to do with uh, the trust that they've earned over time. So like, in, yes. like, I think that people are willing to just give them money to fund these projects and kind of giving the, the get project the to them and get out of the way. And so yeah. this is Steven Spielberg. So he gets to do what he wants. Yes. Yeah. And so that, I think that that's why in regard to Ken's point about like getting so many people involved and sort of fizzles it down. Well, that's a great segue to talking about Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Cause talk about a movie that is like, uh, it's going to make money because people are anticipating it, whether it's good or not. We don't even right. know yet. Cause nobody's seen it. We right. have tickets to it. I mean, literally Kent and I have tickets yes, to do. it. We are ready to go. Yes. I'm excited about it. Man, and it is a movie that I feel like, sorry guys, uh, you're missing out. You'll probably see it somewhere. We'll talk about it later. But yeah, the the idea that there's a movie that can both have a great director, we can expect to have a good narrative. Mm-hmm. There's going to be still a lot of people that'll go to see it. Adam Hawkins, you probably have a Wookiee costume ready to go, I assume. Yeah, I'm... Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. you've got so, your... I'm a can't reveal too much. Star Trek fan. <laughs> I mean, Star Wars. Star Wars. Oh, on task. Oh, man, come on. <laughs> okay, so uh, if if people aren't aware, this is we're recording this before Star Wars comes out, mm-hmm. obviously. So we have not seen it yet. For the last Kirk, Jedi comes out. Before I'm Data. sorry, the last Jedi comes out. Mm-hmm. Yes, Data, Captain Kirk. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Keep listing characters. See if you got any uh, other ones in there. The bald guy, Riker. Make it Picard. Spock. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, I learned a lot about leadership from Picard. Hey, but we're not talking about that right now. We're not. <laughs> but Picard is great. Okay, so what? Why do people love Star Wars? Is it is it that culmination of like this is a great narrative and a great director, and or is it just the explosions and the lightsabers, or is it David? Do you hate it? No, I don't hate Star Wars. In fact, as a a kid, I remember when I missed like the first run of Star Wars. I'm too young for that. And so, mm-hmm. like when Episode One was coming out, I kind of got into it. Started collecting Phantom the, Menace, the original, yeah, Phantom Menace. Started collecting, which was not that good, but um, started collecting some of the original figures and things like that. Even though now I'm not as interested for several reasons, it's just not maybe my cup of tea as I've grown up, watch more movies. I don't know. Um, so you're more mature. Yeah, more mature than everyone else at this table, clearly. <laughs> so, um, no, I think it's great. I think a lot of people, there's way more than this, but I think a lot of people are just attracted to it because of the world, the universe that has been created by George Lucas. Uh, it's, I mean, the characters, the places, the the different storyline lines with those characters. It's just, it's vast and it's expansive and it's, you can just lose yourself in that world, even I think it's more about that than even the actual story that I'm sure that someone would push back against that. But when I think about why, maybe that's just my personal reason why I'm intrigued by it. Why I got into it. it's just that world is so big and large and different and allows me to, I don't know, dream and, and think like that. So that's one reason. Adam, maybe. you like star Wars though, right? This is not like, I mean, you're joking about I, star Trek, but I love star Wars. Okay. Um, and probably for a different reason than than David was just saying, in that um, um, there is a sense in which – so I love sci-fi. I'm a huge fan of sci-fi um, films over like fantasy-type films and stuff um, because – I don't know if you guys have ever read the essay that uh, Tolkien wrote called On Fairy Stories. Oh, yes. It's I'm brilliant. reading that now. Brilliant, yeah. brilliant, brilliant. And one of the things he talks about in there is that our heart lo- – why – we really want the fairy stories to be true. Mm-hmm. He's talking about fairy tales basically. He mm-hmm. uses the term fairy stories. But we really want those things to be true. We want there to be like – 
animals that can talk, you know, uh, we want good to triumph over evil. We want, um, there's something in our hearts. Magic. Yeah. Uh, uh, to be able to commune with heavenly beings. Like, uh, there's something in our hearts and it's imprinted in us in, in a way. He he goes beyond just he's like, why is every culture come up with these ideas? Mm-hmm. This isn't one, this isn't Western culture, this isn't modern culture. This is every culture has these stories that will talk about all these elements. That would be that Imago Day, right? It'd be the Imago mm-hmm. Day. And so I think there's something so I so I'm gonna take that and I'm gonna say with Star Wars, um, I it is such a powerful depiction of all of those ideas yeah. that I think just pull at the eternal longings of our heart. I really mean that. I think what even are, specifically, this, what are the things in Star Wars you're like, this just, for example, is it parts of the story or is it the no, scope I, of the story? So let me give you one small example. And, Ken, I, you know, I should let Ken talk about this, but, but think about the force. Trust me. Ken's going to talk about it. So think about the force. <laughs> so think about human nature. Yeah. And think about the force and think about, um, you know, there's the dark side and then you have basically the the good side, right? Mm-hmm. Think about that. Think about um, wh- what the human heart is drawn to. Think about how there is there's a pull in all of our hearts now in this world of original sin. There is a pull towards ambition and there's a fear and there's a – and how that can – color your life and even take the good things of life and poison them in a way. And then there's this other pure expression of the, I mean, so like, it's like down to every little detail there is, it, it, it reflects the reality of the human experience through a fantasy story. Is that helpful? Do you think that's Kent, right? Kent, wasn't George Lucas even trying to like do that? It wasn't he trying to like distill a lot of the the, the myths and religions yeah. of no, other there's cultures? there's no doubt. He definitely, I mean, it, the thing that's funny is it, it was that, yeah. So Joseph Campbell's the popular one that most people know about. He wrote A Thousand Faces. So yeah. he's trying to take these archetypal stories and put that there and then mixed in with Saturday morning serials that he grew up watching. Uh, so it was really, for him, I don't know, you know, if you listen to him, especially now, it, people take it more seriously than he even originally intended it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and that's probably where he gets the most uh, pushback and frustration from fans is that they want him to take it more seriously. And I think Ryan Johnson and Last Jedi will probably do that more than anybody has since Kazdan did with Empire. Mm-hmm. But that's, yes, I, I, I think that's there. I think the other piece I was going to say is <clears throat> there's just this sense of being able to take the supernatural – and we we in this modern world in so many ways say we don't believe in that. We want rationalism to rule the day. We're reasonable people. Um, we're post-enlightenment. And yet we still pay all this money to go to see these movies and are like where the supernatural is invading the natural. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think point. it's just – and you see this in Genesis 1 that the world from the very beginning – is the supernatural and natural. In fact, the Hebrews, in studying this, you would see, wouldn't even make that distinction. They never even see the... And probably most of the older cultures, you know, I mean, those that would be um, in that time of Babylonian or Mesopotamian or any of these cultures that are there, they're not thinking about supernatural versus natural. It's just all one. And in in our world, there's a divide, but Star Wars is a type of show that is – there isn't a divide. It's just infused where those two things are are interconnected. So I think that's part of it too. That's great. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing about Stranger Things. I think that's another another reason why there's so much appeal. And it's easy to sort of – 
maybe stereotype the culture and say everyone's, you know, right. secular and they're sure. humanist and, you know, they don't believe in God. It's But it's like everyone, like Ken's saying, everyone's paying money to see these shows and they're talking about these shows. And so I think that's helpful even thinking about what we do as a church and ministering to people to think about, like, there's just th- – those things are already there. Those longings are already there. So how can we connect with those and tap into those and not mm-hmm. just assume everyone – you know, hates God and hates Christians. I think it's way more complicated than that. And mm-hmm. I think the appeal of Star Wars is, is an example. So as a group of men who know the gospel narrative and who also love Star Wars, do you have hopes for this next movie that it will resonate with some aspect of it or just a hope in general for the next movie? Well, I think that what I'm seeing that's fascinating, and I don't wouldn't call it a hope as much as I'm fascinated to see what they do at this, is they are in that sort of postmodern but post-postmodern sort of sensibility <laughs> where they're looking at metaphysics, what is real, what is real or not real, and looking at epistemology, thinking about knowledge, how do we learn? And they're essentially playing with this idea of, is there anything to learn? Like, is there really good? Is there really evil? Like, are those is just... black and white? Yeah, are those just things that we've created? And so it's this just like, I don't even know if there is any real truth. If there mm. Is the force everything that our elders told us it was? Or are we able to make that something entirely different uh, of our own creation? So I think that I'm I'm fascinated to see. I, I'm curious, myself. and maybe Adam could jump in here too, because I think Adam Griffin, because I, I know that you and Ken are probably the bigger Star Wars fans at this table. But like, what would you say? I, I don't know. Adam Hawkins really likes Star Trek, so yeah. um, <laughs> uh, I, what would you say? Like, and I know that I it, apologize it, to the Trekkies out there. I know you have your own <laughs> thing, and I respect it deeply. Okay. And you have a Klingon tattoo, right? Or you're working yes. on it. Okay. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't. I know that Star Wars has taken on different shapes and forms and has evolved. Even you think it, it seems like I'm sure every director with every movie is kind of writing in and right. thinking about their own way of viewing the world. But wh- I'm curious of what you guys would say is sort of that telos sure. of mm-hmm. Star Wars. So if you had to sum up, like, what is Star Wars yeah. trying to communicate as it relates to? supernatural, transcendence, those those kinds of themes. Well, let me Go take ahead, Adam. some of that and connect it with the question we were just talking about in that what makes Star Wars, I think, truly great and maybe my hopes for the next movie and then kind of what you're talking about, the telos of Star Wars, is a good story has a, a dynamic character, has a change in the character, and so you can't have every movie when you have the same characters for a series or for this, in this case, a trilogy. In every movie, we're not going to see Rey just get more good and then Kylo Ren just get more bad. Right. But they have to have some kind of struggle to overcome, and it can't just be that they want to defeat each other. And so my hope for this next movie is what I really hope comes true is that there's some internal struggle with them of discovering their identity and questioning their identity of, like, is this really who I am? And then in that, discovering something not only about themselves but also about what's true about the universe. Because that's the, the hero with a thousand faces is this uh, normally starts with some tragedy, right, where the kid's an orphan, so you already remove some form of identity. He can't get it from his parents. And then right. there's there's something special about them. And again, we have that with Ray. this, like, who is her family? We don't know her identity. She's got to go on a journey of self-discovery, and it's part of what we go on with them. And so the gospel is this cool thing that applies to anyone, right, in any circumstances. But in some sense, it's that same story of if I knew who I really was and how loved I am and who who I am in Christ, and that changes everything. And if I start as an enemy of God and far removed from him, then there is a story arc that I'm hopeful that we all go on, kind of a dramatic irony of, I hope we get to see this person go through this life change. Right. And that's the same thing I'm hoping 
a similar story, not the exact same thing I'm hoping for, for the movie, is that we see that kind of journey that a person goes on of self-discovery and identity. Mm-hmm. That's good. I mean, I, similar things. I think it's about destiny. <clears throat> From the beginning, it was about where are we ending up? Um, and so I think that that that's probably the biggest driver. Then of course you have good and evil. And that's what I'm saying. Fascinated by, um, this, that you can just tell that this one, that's the theme is, is that whole exploration of good and evil. And you have, um, well, I'm not going to share that. There is one thing in the trailer. I avoid all spoilers. Uh, just FYI, <laughs> I do watch the trailers, but I know there are some out there who don't even watch the trailer. So never mind. I was going to say something that would even be too much, too, too much, much info. Them. Man, for that's a lot Jedi. of respect for your fellow I mean, I respect them, man. But so I think those are two high level things. I do think in thinking about the story that we're we're in as Christians, thinking about language that we use here at the village, uh, specifically in our institute of dwelling, dominion, and dynasty. So thinking about you know we um, want to dwell with God and we we desire that, um, but it, there's something that we can't see before we become believers and before yeah. He reveals His goodness to us and His salvation through His Son. And so there's just that ache, there's that angst there. And of course, you see that in Star Wars from the very beginning um, in Episode Four, uh, which is just the weirdness of that whole thing that that's the beginning mm-hmm. uh but it is and so there's just a desire for luke to be with his dad and yeah. to um to know what he was like and there's just i mean immediately there's so many of us that can resonate with that desire and then dominion of being able we've been given all of this um all these resources to cultivate and create and um, in Star Wars, you're seeing that a lot of the force. How will you cultivate that? How will you have dominion there in that? And then this idea of dynasty being pulled into a family, uh, being um, made this new uh, this new creation. And so whether that's becoming a Jedi or it's becoming a Sith or it's there's this desire to be part of this family. And so I think even using that language and thinking about that in the gospel that what Christ comes and accomplishes is restoring dominion, restoring dynasty, and restoring yeah. the ability to dwell with God. Um, I think there's that. That is that's in Star Wars too, um, in just ways that um, you wouldn't see on the surface. But if you pick it apart, you see those elements in it. So I think there are things like that that believers probably really respond to. But I think others do too, even if they wouldn't say it that yeah. way. I think in general, one of the things that I love about Star Wars, and it's true about a lot of movies, and this is not as much about the art form, it's just the form of entertainment, is that if a movie is moving or exciting or fun, I want to see it and I want to enjoy it. And I think there's a lot of people that will see Star Wars and probably won't be thinking about, you know, A Hero with a Thousand Faces no. and the progress yeah. and the story arc. And it'll still be a beautiful film to them and a lot of fun, and they'll go back and see it 10 more times. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm excited about it. I know that... Um, Kent and I are really excited about seeing it together and mm, seeing it without you guys. Uh, I'm excited about texting you while we're going to see, it, we're gonna the, see the new Star Trek together. Okay, yeah, good. Go see it. You guys enjoy that. I'm really hopeful for Data. <laughs> you wanted to make a return to film? Yes. Is, is Data immortal? Let's find out on the next episode. Uh, but seriously, Kent, I'm so uh, grateful that you joined us. You yeah, have such you interesting perspective on art. I know we could talk about this all day uh, in yeah. particular film. And David, all the time that you've spent thinking about movies, it challenges me to do more than just sit back and be a passive uh, movie watcher, but to engage what is the director trying to do and what's the cinematographer trying to show me. It's not just trying to be beautiful, they're trying to accomplish something. So thank you for that challenge as well. Of course. 
And then Adam, I'm always challenged by your opinions. You're just a great thinker. I just want to go to room and encourage everybody. So let's all that time man. here, man. Yeah. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. Go yeah. see Star Wars and join us on the next episode of Culture Matters after the new year. If there's anything you heard on the show that you'd like to know more about, you can find details on our website at tbcresources.net. Uh, today's episode was produced by David Roark and sound engineered by Wes Ashworth and Chris Starrett. We're going to be taking a little break for the holidays. We'll be back in late January with brand new episodes about some pretty tough topics. So we'll see you next time and God bless. <laughs>